Welcome to Mission 1711 podcast again. Our mission goal is to guide people to trust the Bible, the Word of God, by learning to search the scriptures for themselves to see if the things they're being taught are true, as it teaches us in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 11. Today's study is about the God of foreknowledge. We're going to be doing a review of Psalm 22. So if you've got your Bible handy, um, grab a hold of, of the Bible and look up Psalm 22. Psalms is about the middle of the Bible. And uh, if you've got a, a, a Protestant, you know, full Bible, the Psalms are about in the middle there. And, uh, you know, flip over to Psalm 22. And then we're going to take a look at a few things. You might want to take some notes of this because this might get a little bit technical, but really it should be very life-giving to you uh, to understand the things that Psalm 22 is going to teach us. But first, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. There, it's speaking with the voice of God. Isaiah is writing down exactly what God is dictating to him. And God has said to him, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. I will accomplish all my good pleasure. That's the word of God speaking through Isaiah to us. He wants us to understand. Uh, he alone can declare the end from the beginning, and he wants us to understand this is the unique factor that tells us that he is God. As we can look at prophecy in the past, and we can see it fulfilled along the way, or we can be, see it fulfilled even in our time, and we can know that this is the word of God demonstrating to us what God is doing. See, his purposes are established, and he will accomplish the things that he has determined to accomplish. God has an end game. He's working out redemption for humankind, and he is bringing history to a close in a certain way, and he wants us to understand that he alone can tell us these things that are happening. So we want to watch. It's important to get a sense of what has God said is going to happen, and then to understand what is happening and see how it aligns, or as it is the case with much of it, what has happened. There are so many ways that we can determine, we see that God prophesied something, and then 600 or 800 years later, it came to pass exactly as he said, and that demonstrates to us that it was God speaking. I mean, just looking at the life of Jesus, we see well over 300 different ways that Jesus fulfilled prophecy. And it's quite amazing when you begin to look into it and you find, hey, nobody else could have done this. Even the very day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey that, that people called out to him, Hosanna, and they laid palm branches on the ground, that very day was prophesied well over 400 years in advance. And I don't just mean a day, I mean that specific day. There was a calculation given uh, by an angel to the prophet Daniel that, that tells him this is the calculation to know that this is the real Messiah, the real king, the real prince that God has sent to Israel, and there will be no other. So when we can understand which day it was, we can look, well, who showed up that day and was declared king? Oh, this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, did that. Well, these are the kind of things that help us to understand who God is, all right? Now, the apostles John and Paul and Peter all agree that the plan of salvation was, quote, foreknown from the from before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. 
Now that's based on First Peter chapter one verse twenty. It's also based on Ephesians chapter one verse four, and in the Gospel of John chapter seventeen verse twenty-four. All three of these apostles are basically saying the same thing: foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. That includes you and I, folks. There is a salvation that has been granted for those who will trust in Jesus as Savior, and it was foreknown, foretold uh, in ancient times. Now, we want to understand, how, how does that work out? You see, the God of foreknowledge tells us these things so that we can understand how to read prophecy. Now, in Acts chapter 1, verses 16 through chapter 2, verses 35, it tells us that David was a prophet, Get that. David was a prophet. Now, David who? What, what David are we talking about? We're talking about David the shepherd boy who became the king. David who was pursued by the king until that king died and David became the king. That same David, you know, the guy that slew Goliath with a stone uh, and a sling, that same David was a prophet. Not many people realize that. He wasn't just, you know, a giant killer. He wasn't just a shepherd boy. He wasn't just a king. He was also a prophet. In fact, some of his prophecies are some of the most important prophecies that we can read. And we want to understand that because Psalm 22 was written by David some incredible period of time. I don't remember the specific period, but it's something like, I don't know, 800 years before Jesus was born. So we want to understand that. Now, we're going to take a quick trip forward into the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at chapter 27 and verse 46, because this is depicting Jesus on the cross. And it tells us that about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, just that quote alone is stirring enough to think about Jesus on the cross, crying out to God, Why have you forsaken me? That's a pretty radical thought, okay? If you've ever, you know, seen a movie with Jesus on the cross or pictured him on the cross, just understanding his suffering and the fact that he cried out like that is uh, is fairly disturbing. Let's just face it. But this is Jesus actually doing more than just calling out to God. And so we want to understand why did he do that? Well, you see, in the ancient times, before the Bible became listed with chapters and verses, the rabbis would teach their people to memorize the Bible by passages and sections, especially the Psalms. So a typical observant Jew from the time they were young would have most of the Psalms memorized verbatim, especially the first 41 Psalms and Psalm 119. Those were pretty key for them to memorize and, and be able to recall very quickly. Now, when a rabbi would call out the first verse, the disciple would then quote the rest of the passage by memory. So rather than saying Psalm 22, they would call that Psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What? Yeah, that's right. That's the first line of Psalm 22. And so then the people would, would know to quote the rest of the Psalm by heart from hearing that, you see. So Few homes had more than a simple portion of the Torah. They, they Very few people had even a whole book of Psalms. Uh, but they did ha sometimes have those, and they were like our hymns. They were memorized, right? Now, 
the way that we can sing Amazing Grace by heart or sing our favorite, um, you know, childhood uh, commercials by heart is the same way that those people had memorized the Psalms. This is what they did. They memorized the Bible. So when Jesus cried out, he was urging the people to quote Psalm 22. So for us today, when we read Psalm 22, we ought to do that with the picture in mind of Jesus on the cross asking us to read it out. So let's do that at the moment. Let's read the psalm. Starting off with verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and I'm not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out their lip. They shake their heads, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like raging and roaring lions. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is melted like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shard, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed around me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones, and they look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. All who fear the Lord, praise him. I'm going to stop at just this moment, uh, and, and we want to look at the first section that we've read here and understand what is happening. You see, this passage reads as though it was dictated by a man being crucified. Now, Jesus was so dehydrated, so uh, torn apart by all that he had experienced. He Remember, he was first he was beaten while he was on trial. He was punched in the face. He had uh, been punched in his gut. He had His beard was torn out of his face. That was just while he was on trial. Then, when he went before uh, Pontius Pilate, the governor, uh, you know, they all demanded he be crucified. And so he was sent first to be scourged. Now, a Roman scourging is so brutal, many people died just from being scourged. They literally were scourged to death. And it tells us that Jesus underwent this Roman scourging so that he was torn 
every part of his body was was ripped open by the Roman whips or the scourging. Now, I don't need to tell you how bad that was, but folks, a Roman scourge, the 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 cat of nine tails whip that they used, uh, was designed to rip flesh open, not just beat the flesh from the outside, but tear it open. And they had Roman soldiers doing the work on it. So we know that when Jesus was scourged, he was literally shredded in his flesh. And then he comes back, they put a gown back on him and bring him before Pilate uh, so Pilate can present him to the crowd. And then we know the crowd demanded he still be crucified. So he hadn't eaten, he hadn't drank anything, and now he's been scourged open, his, his body literally shredded, and then he's going to go and be crucified. And folks, this isn't, you know, uh, Seattle where the weather is is humid. This is in the desert. This is in Israel, in the desert at the time of the year that's the dry season. We know that Jesus had to have been completely parched. He was probably so thirsty he could barely speak. And so when he calls out and, and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know he was literally suffering to death and barely able to speak because he was so dehydrated. So if we can understand that that this is what he would have said if he could have spoken any more than what he did. Now, one of the things that we want to understand as we look at Psalm 22, it's important to realize that crucifixion was not even used as a form of capital punishment until 400 years after David. And David is writing this, dictating it, it seems as though he has taken the place of Jesus on the cross, as though he ex himself experiencing this horrific uh, torture that Jesus is experiencing. So the passage is speaking as one would speak to God and to the observers around him, as if Christ himself is relating what's happening in his own experience. He's speaking to them through that as they're observing him on the cross. Now, it's also important to realize that the passage speaks of future events that can only be fulfilled in Christ's resurrection. We see that later. We're going to look at that in a minute. But we want to understand, what is this thing Jesus is saying, I'm a worm and not a man? Well, there's an interesting thing about it. The word he uses for, for worm is the word tola. It's a type of worm they have in the Middle East that uh, as it's uh, you know going through its final phase of life, it, it crawls up on trees, on wood, and it embeds itself on wood. And as it dies, it's, it's bright red, and it leaves a red stain where it's been attached to that wood. But once it dies, the, uh, the worm has some, um, what do they call it, a, a chrysalis or a, you know, a, uh, I'm trying to remember the word from my, my uh, bio biology school, but uh, it, it leaves this body that is eaten by the, the offspring that it lays, the eggs that it lays, right? And so all that's left after the body of the worm has been eaten is the, re the remaining chrysalis or, or outer flesh that turns white after three days. So it's an interesting thing because this tola, this worm, the word for it actually is the word they use for crimson or, or red, red stain. So the, the, the worm leaves a red stain on a, a piece of wood or a timber. 
and then it turns white after three days. So when Jesus is referring to this, he's saying, I am a Tola and no man. He's also talking about the color of his own body. I'm crimson. I'm red. That was all prophesied by David. You know, Jesus couldn't personally say that in his condition, but that's what the, the Psalm 22 is prophesying for us. Now, as we look to the rest of the psalm, we want to see that it speaks of future events that can only be fulfilled in Christ's resurrection. Let's, let's remember in verse 27, it says, all the ends of the world, I'm sorry, we didn't get that far. He, uh, verse 25, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. This is Jesus speaking to the Father prophetically. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. See, this is talking about eternal matters, and, and Jesus has given through this prophetic word a reminder that the poor shall eat and be satisfied. Remember when Jesus said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you, but those who eat my flesh and drink my blood, what? They shall live forever right? So Jesus is using this to point this out to us, that this is the destiny of those who trust him, who bring his life into ours, who literally eat him like bread and, and wine, right? Who, who are, are consuming the life of Christ into us. And then he says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over nations. Folks, this is talking about the millennial reign of Jesus. This is talking about the Messiah's reign in the world that's yet to come. It says, all the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship and go down in the dust and shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. Hey, this is talking about those who trust in Jesus will be his posterity. You know, Jesus didn't have children. He didn't have a wife. He didn't have those things. How can a posterity serve him? All of us who believe in him are his brothers and children of God by faith in Jesus. And it says it will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who are yet to be born, that he has done this. You see, this is talking about the salvation Jesus earned for us, that he personally paid the price for on his cross. It's all been, by foreknowledge from God, given to us hundreds of years before Jesus even lived. And yet, this is telling us what the cross accomplished for us. And we want to remember this. This is reminding us that we have been given this great opportunity to be called children of God by faith in Jesus, and that we have been given the opportunity to live forever, to have eternal life through Jesus. And it says that because of this, we're going to go and we're going to recount this to the next generation. And folks, that's our responsibility today, is to tell the world, to tell the next generation of what God has done so that they can know that they can trust him, that they can see since the first part of the psalm was fulfilled at Jesus' cru crucifixion, at his suffering, at his scourging on that day, the rest of the psalm will also be fulfilled. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. 
all the families of the nations shall worship before you. So folks, this is a reminder for us. We have to go and we have to tell people, we have to let them know this is the, the, the foreknowledge of God on, on display for us to know that these things were done for us. God sent Jesus to the cross. The cross was not a mistake. Jesus was not a martyr. Jesus was victorious at the cross on our behalf. And part of the reminder of that is remembering that worm. I'm a worm and no man, he says. I'm a tola. I am crimson. I'm a worm who is attached to a piece of wood, who is bloody red, but I will be white in three days. Folks, the, the, the fascinating part of this is that the God who gave us these words, <laughs> he gave us the worm too. Can you get that? That God put all of this together so that we would know that he is the God of foreknowledge. He is the God of purpose to, uh, to understand and know and provide an advance for us to see this work of God and be amazed so that we would believe it and so that we would share it with the next generation. Well, thank you, folks. This presentation, this podcast has been about the God of foreknowledge, and it was presented by Mission 1711. Now, who is Mission 1711, and why are we called that? Well, we are inspired by the scripture in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 11, where it says that the Bereans were more noble than the folks in Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily to check out if Paul the Apostle was correct, to see that his message really did come from the ancient Old Testament prophets. And so our brand and our purpose is all about inspiring people to search out and more carefully understand the epic story of Jesus, to verify that this truly is of God. You see, we believe that God wants us to walk by faith, but he never expects us to have a blind faith. In fact, God commends us for testing and verifying what is true by the Holy Scriptures, that is, the Christian Bible. And that job is not just the job of professional pastors or priests or apostles or theologians. It's the job of regular people who hear the message. You see, we are all accountable before God, and we all have an interview with him pending that we will have to be tested about what we've done with the life and the truth that we've received. So the goal of Mission 1711 is to bring a fresh perspective, to, to enable people to take another look. Don't just believe what somebody else told you about the Bible. Check it out for yourself. And so we do this with the voice of the common believer rather than professional clergy, and we enter into a discussion about faith in Jesus. In other words, we're here to speak to folks with a perspective that isn't clouded by sectarian dogma or churchy language or earthly territorialism or institutional biases. We represent nothing but the great news of Jesus. We're not here to be against anything. No, we're here because we're for Jesus, and we hope you find the way of Jesus and learn to walk in it. If our messages encourage you, if they help you in your walk with Jesus, then please like and share them, and also consider joining our community on Patreon. We have a lot more coming and a lot of special content that you'll have early access to on the Patreon community. This is about empowering every believer uh, to get the message out faithfully in the world today. And if you help us do that, then we can do it more effectively. So God bless you, and thank you for tuning in.